So I have a question. How are small business owners like us, who are spending 60 plus hours a week working in our businesses and are still struggling to make ends meet, who have no time to spend with family, friends, or the things we value most in life, who feel trapped inside of our businesses and it is consuming our lives? How do we get the freedom to be able to work on our businesses and not in them? That is the question. This podcast will give you the answer. My name is John Nichols, and this is Expansion Code Radio. What's up, everyone? Welcome to today's podcast. My name is John Nichols, and this is Expansion Code Radio. We have a really good guest today. We have Blaine Elkers today with us. Blaine, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Thank you so much for having me on. And actually, let me say thank you on behalf of small business owners across the world who kind of gets your your wisdom, your your nuggets every day. And I say that your content is so good that you're actually going to touch lives not yet born. So somebody not even born yet, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, they're going to be looking to do better in their business. Uh, they're going to be looking to serve more, to earn more, and they're going to find these podcasts. So, so thank you for doing all the work to put this stuff together. Oh, thank you. I mean, that there's, that there's a total blessing to me today. Thank you so much. Um, and, and Blaine, you know, thank you for taking the time. This is kind of interesting. We've been, this is a podcast in the making for over what, two months now, Blaine? We, we had our, we had our podcast yeah. scheduled back in, uh, September and I got sick. I had a nasty sinus infection I got while I was in Iceland. And, uh, and I asked Blaine really nicely if we could just reschedule and he was so accommodating. I really do appreciate all of that. But this is the, but I think we're going to have a good time today, Blaine. So why don't you tell, um, my audience a little bit about yourself and uh and how you and what you do what you do and how you impact people uh, yeah yeah i would say that uh, you know a lot of people have these moments of dawning comprehension where you know the light bulb goes off and all of a sudden you know you're never the same quite the same again and and i had two moments that kind of led me to where i am today and the first moment uh, of dawning comprehension happened when i was in college and so when i was in college um like many of the listeners, I've always been a seeker of knowledge. How can I do better? You know, how, how can I be better? And I saw this little ad for um, a, a condensed version of this book called Think and Grow Rich. And it was read by Earl Nightingale, actually became one of my mentors. Uh, so I sent away for that tape and I listened to it and I got that book and I read that book in college. And in that moment, I realized later I made a little saying, why table? What you think about, you bring about. And I realized that I could play a role in like how my life turned out just by kind of controlling kind of the dominant thoughts equal dominant behavior. Uh, and, and so that, that set me on, on a, on a course of, of kind of self development. And so then the second moment of dawning comprehension actually came when uh, I was, my degree was in computer science. I graduated from Purdue University and I was working a corporate job and I came home from a business trip. And my son was giving me the cold shoulder. And I said, Beth, what, what's going on with Bo? Like, why is he giving me the cold shoulder? And she said, well, you were gone so long that he kind of forgot who you were. And like that night, I, I was like, that night that hurt me. Like that hurt me bad emotionally. And that night I made this decision, a clarifying decision that no matter what, I was going to work from home. Uh, and, and so that night I made that decision. Uh, you know, my wife's kind of conservative and she said, look, if you, if you can make as much on some kind of side hustle or other business as you do on your full-time job, you can quit your job. Now it took me a year. I started two businesses, almost lost the marriage, but we've been married 30 years. So we, so we did make it. Uh, but I started two businesses there, uh, you know, and a year later, I did walk away from that job and I've been kind of a work at home dad for 27 years now, although our kids are all graduated and out of the house. But by doing that, that gave me the time to really figure out what do I really like to do? And I realized I like to help people get results. I like to help people take control of their lives by taking control of themselves. And I started helping mastermind groups of business owners do that. And they said, look, you know, you're, you're kind of like our chief results officer. And I said, Hey, I like that title. So I went to the U S patent and trademark office and I got the registered trademark, took a couple of months with the R with the circle. Uh, and so now, uh, for the last 10 years, I've been America's only chief results officer, basically helping, uh, you know, helping the business owner community to kind of get more stuff done. So that's, uh, maybe that's a longer story than you wanted, but, but now you know the rest of the story. Yeah. No, I mean, I find that just, 
very interesting. You know, the thing is, is that you did, you put your family first over your job. And it's really hard in this day and age to do things like that. And um, I commend you on that. Um, so I'm guessing your kids are grown and, and out of college and all that good fun stuff now. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So the kids are grown and, and out of the nest. My, my son went uh, went on to Cal Poly, got a degree there. Then he went to work for Apple uh, for five years. And now actually he's with his fiance and they're working for a tech company, um, uh, actually an app, a Vivino wine app company in Denmark. So they actually moved to Denmark this year and they're they're living there. And then my daughter, yeah, she actually... Her, she had this clarifying decision about wanting to go to med school, uh, and she did it, and she made it, and now she's a, a medical doctor. So, uh, so the kids turned out all right with uh, with dad being around. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is that for me and my family, so I've got a twenty five year old, and then I've got um, boy girl twins that are fourteen, and so I do not recommend to anybody having kids eleven years eleven years apart. That's just not a good thing. <laughs> Uh, because because now I'm 52, my wife is 43, you know, and you know, and the thing is, is that if uh, if if we'd had kids closer together, it would it would have been better. I'm just saying. And so anyhow, right. Um, but when you're t- when when you made that choice to stay home, um, it, the, the weird thing about me and my journey with UPS stores is the more UPS stores I accumulated, the more time, the more personal time I freed up. And I work nowadays completely from home, completely. I don't do anything. Um, uh, I mean, I will go in locations. I will, I will do some traveling to see some stuff, but day in, day out, I work directly and mostly from my office here at my house. And in doing that, I'm able to get up and take my daughter to school every morning. Um, my son is right now away at a therapeutic boarding school, so he'll be back next year. Um, and it's just it, it's just one of these really great things that I'm able to concentrate on the great things that we have in life. And and I commend you on that so much because 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 you've seen the impact of you not being there on your family. And the thing is, is that whether people like it or not, and don't get me wrong, I commend single mothers. Single mothers do ha- have such a hard, hard job because, because they're trying to be both parents. But if, but, but in an ideal world, a two parent family is, 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 is the best idea. It just doesn't happen. Um, as often as we probably would like it for it to be. And the thing is, is that you taking that role of making sure that you are home is a big, big thing. And I, and like I said, Blaine, I just commend you on that. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, and I think, you know, you know, you and I have talked about this in, in the past that there is this um, kind of this, freedom spot in the, in the size of a business. And, and, uh, you know, we were talking earlier, uh, you know, about, you know, how many stores you need to really break free. I was a Domino's pizza franchisee. You needed about three stores to get to that size where you could get a director of operations and kind of pull yourself out of the day to day, you know, stuff. And, and for me, it took me a year. Now it took me a year of working on two businesses and having my regular job. That's where our marriage probably had the, the highest stress levels. Uh, you know, but when I got to that point, uh, you know, this is, is quite a ways back in the nineties, you know, I was making about $5,000 a month from my job. And then I got my businesses to where they were making $5,000 a month. But when I broke free from the job, you know, uh, then within a year, I went to $15,000 a month, you know, in, in take home, you know, profits after all the expenses, uh, you know, and I've never gone below that, you know, so, so anyway, I just want, I want the listeners to know, I want you to know that there is that, that freedom point in your business. Now, maybe you have to look at the business size, the structure, the model, maybe your prices are too low. If you're not making enough profit, there may be some change you have to make, but there's a point you can get to where you're a business owner and not kind of the business doer. Yeah. And you know, that was a big leap for me. Um, because the thing is, is that I, so I opened up my first UPS store in 2003 
And we didn't buy our second one until 2011. So that there is, so that was eight years that it was just, um, just a single store. And the weird thing about it was, is that my wife, when she got pregnant with our twins, um, she, she had really bad morning sickness. And so, and she was a corporate banker and, um, basically she had to leave her job because she was so sick all the time. And she was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave this and then I'm going to go back after the kids, after, after I have the twins. I was like, great. That, that sounds awesome. And we were going to get a nanny and all this other fun stuff. And the weird thing about it was, is that I said, well, while you're taking this time off, can you just go into, to my UPS store and I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go get another job and provide some insurance for us because she was providing insurance for us and I'll go get insurance and work another job. But you go in and run my UPS store. And she goes, well, I'm only going to do it until the twins are born. After the twins are born, I'm going back to corporate. I said, that's fine. And then we'll flip flop back again. And the weird thing about it is, is two months into it, she was just like, I love the UPS store. I'm never <laughs> going back to corporate America. And it was the funniest thing ever. I still, I still tease her a little bit about today, you know, that, uh, you know, she, she was always like, I'm a corporate America girl. I'm just like, Nope, you're actually an entrepreneur. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, and so, and so I, I just kind of love that is that, uh, is that she came in and she is the one that really has, has driven our growth. Um, and, and, you know, and lots of people have, have asked me about, you know, about the growth that we've had and how, and how we've done it. And, um, my wife has always been the initiator. And so, so I'll tell you a funny story about this. So when people ask me, Hey, do you ever think you're going to get another UPS story? My answer was always, as, as soon as they asked, my first answer immediately came out of my mouth was, no, nope. I'm good with one. Nope. I don't want. And my wife was always, well, maybe. And I looked at her just like, no, we're not buying any more UPS stores. And she, and she looked back at me. She goes, well, maybe. <laughs> and so, and so we had this little thing going on. And so I remember I got a call. And um, from another UPS store owner uh, that that was a good friend of mine, and uh, he had sold one of his stores, um, and it was like um, it was pay over time basically. And so the guy had been working it for a little under a year, about ten months, and he just decided he couldn't do it anymore. So he he calls the guy that owns it, says, "Hey, I'm going to give the store back to you." And my friend was just like, okay. So then um, he he just calls me up out of the blue and says, hey, listen, I need to get rid of this store. I'm retiring. Um, you know, I've only got one more store to get rid of. And I'm going to keep this one store. I'm going to keep it for five years and I'm going to sell it. And I was like, uh, okay. And, I, and I, I said, well, what kind of deal are you going to give me? And he told me. And I was just like, ooh. That's, that's, that, that, that's a fire sale. He's just like, listen, I just, I, I can't go back and be, and take this store back over. I've been out of it for a year. I, I just can't go back. And so I bought the location. And, and so I, so I said, yes. So a year later, almost, it was like within a week or so of, the day he called me. I mean, I mean, literally with, within less than a week. I get a phone call from the area franchisee saying, Hey, listen, by the way, we've got three locations in the tri cities for sale. And this is how much they're wanting for them. He said, but they're in, they're kind of in a pickle because corporate, the UPS store, if they don't, if they don't get the stores transferred to someone else, they're going to come in and shut them down because they're just so out of compliance. And so we, it's like like we were on the phone. I mean, like me and my wife were in the in in, in the in the car together, and I and I looked at her and said, "No, we're not buying UPS stores." <laughs> and and my wife says, "Well, maybe." And so we end up that day driving driving an hour and a half away from where we live and go visit all three UPS stores up there. And on our way back, we made the decision that we would move forward and buy those. So I went from one to two, then from two to th then from two to five. 
And when I went from two to five, it really made me just change my whole outlook. I had to scrap my business model and come up with a brand new business model. It was just one of those things. And expansion is hard. And the thing is, is that, you know, if it wasn't for my wife being that catalyst of saying, let's go look. Well, I'm not saying yes, but let's just go look. Right. And, you know, and then then after after we bought those three stores, I bought two more stores that was in the same area. So now I have five in an area in Tennessee called the Tri-Cities, which is the uh, northeast corner of Tennessee. And, yeah, and so, so for you, what was the, the magic number where you, you could kind of get out of the operations? Did you, you think that's around four UPS stores? Well, after, after, after so many years and stuff for us, um, yes, I think, I think four is the magic number. I, even though I went from two to five, I mean, four to five is still, I mean, you know, having four stores or five stores is basically no difference anymore. Um, and in fact, you know, it's um, it's it's pretty interesting is that our, our model now is, is that if I'm going to go into a brand new area. So let's say I want to go into a, a, a different state. Let's say I want to go to Atlanta or I want to go to Charlotte uh, or I want to go to um, Louisville, Kentucky or I mean, any place, you know, Birmingham, Alabama, wh- wherever. OK, or I want to go into Virginia, Roanoke, or Richmond, any place like that, right? Because I'm because I'm located here in Knoxville, Tennessee, I understand that if I'm going to go into a different area, a different city, I really need to have a minimum of four. I really have to have by four in that location in order to make it viable. And so, I mean, and, and, and that there's within four within an hour of each other. They, they can't be any, they can't be any further away than, than an hour's drive from each other. Right. And so, yeah, that makes sense. and so, yeah. And, and well, the thing is, so I own UPS stores in Nashville and I also own them stores in Clarksville, Tennessee, which is on the Tennessee Kentucky border. It's a little Northwest of Nashville on the Tennessee Kentucky border. And the thing is, is that, but that's, but that's no more than an hour's drive from Nashville. So, so, so the thing is, so I've kind of figured out what these, what these numbers are and what these big things are. Um, and so, and that there, that there was my number for UPS stores. You were talking about Domino's and your number was three. Right. Um, yep. Yeah. And, and I and, think in anybody, you know, and I see a lot of business owners, they kind of get trapped inside their business, kind of like what you talk about with the expansion code. You know, they're working 60 plus hours a week and they're working so much in their business and not on the business. And it's really hard sometimes to get yourself to the point to move out of that. Right. And 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 I, I actually operate from this principle called the day ahead, called the day ahead entrepreneur is where you 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 get to that point where when you wake up, the to-do list is already done. Now you might have some appointments, but but I would say life's better a day ahead. Now now sometimes business owners can't even see that <laughs> because there's so much urgency in their life. And you have to come up with some ways and strategies to kind of decrease that urgency. And sometimes you can do that through size, like you're talking about grow, grow bigger to where you can have someone, uh, you know, can afford to have like that director of operations or, 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 you know, have more people around to, to pay for that. Uh, so that's one method. And another method is to really look at your own day and, and figure out how can you kind of what I like to say, win the day. Uh, and, and so, do that by having good habits, which which we could talk about. Also, I have something called the twenty one second habits. So that's how to how to create a new habit in twenty one seconds, not twenty one days. So if they told you it takes twenty one days, somebody lied to you. Uh, the other framework, well, the two other frameworks I think business owners really like is another one's called the thirty minute hour. How to get an hour's worth of stuff done in just thirty minutes. Uh, and then the other one is hacking your head trash. Uh, that that goes with that self doubt, uh, you know. And, and good thing your wife was there because there's a great quote. It says, um, "When you argue for your limitations, you get to keep them." So luckily, she was there with the store expansions to say, "Well, let's take a look. Let, let's." They call that the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. But she was like, "Hey, let's just keep the door open there." So good, good on her for that. Yeah, it's really interesting. She's the one that got my mindset changed to 
to more of a growth mindset um, and everything. And, and the thing, and, and I love what you were talking about earlier about about pre-planning for your day, you know, and um, and I call that something different, but it's it, it's like they say in Thailand, same, same, different. So like if you're going to go buy a, a knockoff watch on the street in Thailand or whatever, and you say, oh, uh, ooh, I really like this watch. And they'll be like, oh, yeah. And then they'll reach down underneath, the, underneath their little table and they'll pull out a different watch because they're out of that watch you want to buy. And uh, they'll be like, oh, here. And be like, no, no, that's not the watch I want. Oh, no, same, same, different. <laughs> it's not. But, you know, but it is. And so um, so the interesting piece about this is, is that um, – I call it preventive planning. And what this is, is that, is that, um, and I teach this to my managers too, is that we, if you, if you go in and you start bringing up a task list of the things that you're going to do tomorrow, things that are coming up, like towards the end of your day, go in and start planning your other day out. Okay. And then if you know who's working the next day, so my managers, they know who's working the next day. And they've got stuff on their on their list of things that they have to do for tomorrow. They know immediately who they can um, delegate stuff out to and free up their free up their time in the day. So this is a list of things that have to get done. You only circle the things that you have to do and then you delegate out your other stuff. And, you know, and I call that uh, preventive planning. Um, And so so the thing is, is that you are preventing things from falling through the crack the next day. Um, and it's yeah. the same, and it, and it's the same, and it's, and it's the same concept of what you're talking about. But the thing is, is that, you know, we are, I always talk about, about, about my managers, you know, the thing you have to look at is that you got to look at stuff being proactive and you got to nip things in the bud. So <clears throat> prime example of this would be if you see an employee and they start showing up late. Okay. They're five minutes late today. Then the next day they show up, they're five minutes late. And on the third day they show up and they're five minutes late. You have to stop it on that third day and pull them aside and say, listen, I understand, but you've been late three days straight now. We have to stop this because the thing is, is that what that's going to do now is now that sets a new precedent for them and for everybody else in that location that you're okay with people being late to work. Right. You have to stop these things, um, nip these things in the bud. And it's all about being proactive um, and, and doing doing preventative things ahead of time if you can. And then and then after you stop that person from being late, then you have a little store meeting talking about how important being on time is for everybody else. Yeah, no, that's, and doing, that, that's good. Yeah, that's good, good stuff. And, and I think I, I like to say never let a day end, you know, with without planning the next one. You know, uh, but then also, I, yeah, the saying I like to use is think who before do, right? So you kind of think mm-hmm. who could do this before you go do this. And I yep. think what you're saying there about the pre-planning or being proactive, uh, you know, like with that employee is key. And I watch a lot of business owners when they get proactive about their core values, you know, which mm-hmm. one of them could be, say, uh, you know, showing up on time, you know, or we're, we're on time. It could just be on time that when you have that core values that you're all kind of reteaching, you know, kind of week after week after week, then a lot of those, those kind of uh, little problems tend to melt away with it, with a good set of core values that are, that are talked about each, you know, each, you know, team meeting or store meeting. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing that I've, I've figured out when, when people, when we do uh, team meetings, um, we like to do, we like to call our, 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 atmosphere our culture our tribe mentality and my and my definition of tribe is basically you take the best of family okay so you take the best values of family you take the best values of team and you marry them together to make a tribe and and you try to stay with those values and you have to write out those values and you have to change that into a purpose and then you have to explain the why behind all of it. And the one thing that I figured out with employees nowadays is that if you give the reason why you're doing the things that you're doing, you have a better chance of getting buy-in from that employee than if you just say, go do this. 
because that's the way I was raised by, by my dad. My dad's just like, you do this. And there was no why his why was because I said so. And the thing yeah. is, is that, is that with employees, you can't treat employees like children. Because as soon as you start doing that, then everybody acts like children. And so yeah. you have to treat people like adults and give them the why behind it. And they get, and they motivate themselves because uh, yeah. what, 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 what kills me is that I hate it when people say, Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a motivational speaker or everything else. No, all thing you're doing it. You, there's no really such thing as a motivational speaker. The thing is, is that people say inspiring words that make you want to change who you are, but they're not motivating. The only motivation can is, 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 is all internal. They can say inspiring things to you and, and make you want to change. But that doesn't mean that you're motivated to do it. You have to have that internal motivation yourself. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think the why is so powerful. It even takes it to another level that if you keep teaching the, you know, telling the why behind it, they start to make their better decisions in, in, you know, in your business in the moment, right? Because they understand the whys and they start, you know, they start acting towards the whys, and you don't have to police the employees as much, uh, and they they make better decisions because they understand. The, the, the why you're treating the customer that way, you know, or, or why it's important to educate instead of sell, right? So they, you know, oh, have you seen our new flip notebook or whatever, you know, you know, I mean, you're really good at teaching people that, that kind of stuff. But, but in, in talking about the why, they start making better decisions and they start running a better business for you because they become educated as to why you're doing the business the way you're doing it. That, that's what I've also found. Yeah. And also, whenever you hire people to, you got to get people. Um, we, we have a set. We have a definite set of questions that we like to ask people. Um, and the thing is, is that we're always trying to we're always trying to push our why we do the things we do with our customers. And the thing is, is that my my favorite tool that we use when we hire is that we do what we call a working interview. And that means that they come in for a couple hours. Um, I pay them with a Amazon gift card. Um, and um, because I did a lot of research with the IRS and things of this nature to make sure that I was still within my limits. Um, and then we pay them whatever the, whatever the rate is. I, I, I'm not sure what it is right now. Uh, but and then we just send them an Amazon gift card for coming in and working for two hours. So this way I don't have to do a bunch of paperwork on them and all that fun stuff for two hours worth of work. And, uh, but it really lets them try us out and we're trying them out too. And we have a, we have a set list of tasks that we're going to show them how to do. and We're going to evaluate how they do it. And one of my favorite uh, things that is in this working interview is the trash can test. So do you do you have any any earthly idea what the trash can test is? Well, I I know that when I was the franchisee at Domino's Pizza, I was willing to do anything, take the trash out, clean the toilet, whatever it was. I was asking somebody to do something. I was also willing to do it myself. Yep. And so for me, the trash can test is so I got somebody there. So I normally find a so, so we normally have little small trash cans like under counters and things of this nature. And, uh, and, and I always ask, and or however I have the manager, whoever is doing the working interview, I always have them ask to take, to take that small trash can and empty it into a bigger trash can. And the reason why is that this is an attitude test and it's not whether they can do it or not. It's what is their attitude about doing it? Because it's very rare that I've ever, I think I've only had somebody say once, no. That's not part of my job that I'm going to be doing. Um, right. It's, it's taking out the trash. I'm just like, well, this working interview is completely over then. Thanks and have <laughs> right. a great day. But the thing is, is that um, so, so it's really interesting to watch how they do it, what their attitude is, the expression on their face, their body language. Um, and it is, it, it is a, a really great little test to do to have them take that can empty to another can. Um, because um, I'll tell you, tell you a really, really great book. Uh, the author is uh, Navarro, and it is uh, what everybody is talking about. And it's a book on body language. And 
um, this is a great book for managers to read because you'll be able, because then the managers are able to read their employees. And what people don't understand is employees is actually your first customer of your business. The employees is your very first customer. And so you have to treat them like you would treat every other customer. Actually, you have to treat them better than you would treat the customers coming in the door. And and the thing is, is that reading this book, it gives you cues on what people are thinking when they're lying, when they're doing all these other things, too. And it will help you assess a situation better. So this way, you're not being reactive, you're being proactive. On what yeah. you're on, on, on how you're going to act. It, the thing is, is that if we start looking at being proactive in our lives, we change everything, Blaine. I mean, we, we, we change everything. The two things that I really try to teach my managers is to be, is to, is to have awareness of the situations and then apply proactiveness to that situation if you can not all situations you can but it's really interesting about that yeah yeah i i like that and and that book too what everybody's talking about you know that that body language you know goes beyond you know you could start to look at the body language of the customers coming into the store which is so important yep. that you're kind of putting yourself in that shoes right whether they're you, you could tell they're distressed by in some manner or or maybe you say something and you're able to read the body language like they agree with something or they don't like something and you can say well wait maybe there's another way to ship that or what you know you can you can you know, learn so much, you know, from that nonverbal cues, let's say that, uh, that you're, you know, it, it can really strengthen the organization, uh, all, all around and that proactiveness that, that keeps you, um, out of the, the, the danger zone of, of worry, you know, worry is kind of like a form of indecision, so, so to speak. But if you're, if you're doing something, you know, proactively, uh, you, you feel like you're in more control because you actually are and you're moving things forward, uh, you know, and, and sometimes it doesn't always move forward, but then you're learning. Right. So so either case, you're, you're, you're winning in that in that proactive state. But most definitely. And the thing is, is that if 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 my people would start looking at people that, that they, they come in agitated already. If you here's a simple way to disarm somebody that's already agitated, if you just ask them this simple question, and it is powerful, um, and you may not want to know the answer, but the thing is, is that it will it will change the situation to where the customer is not so agitated, at least with you. And it is is there is there anything I can do today to help relieve some of your stress? And and that that. That is so powerful. People don't understand that is that because because now now you're showing empathy with someone else because the thing is, is that and now you're starting an open conversation and somebody may be like, well, yeah, you can take this package. And you can you know, <laughs> throw it away for me. I, I don't want to do that. But how can I relieve some of this 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 um, the stress that you got around this? It's okay. I'll, I'll I'll take care of this package for you. I'll don't don't be upset about this. I'll I'll take that. I'll take this from you. And so, because the thing about it is, is that there is a um, there, there's a thing that I come up with called the um, the psychology of shipping. And the thing is, is that we are predispositioned in life to be consumers, um, because that's that that's what our American society is is today. Where we are at our heart, consumers. And I know there's people out there that will disagree with me, but in general, we are consumers. And the thing is, is that if you go into Walmart, if you go into a convenience store, if you go into a restaurant, if you go wherever, right, you go to the doctor, right, you are going to receive something for your payment. So you go into Walmart, you pick an item up, you pay for it, you leave with that item, right? You go to the doctor. The doctor sees you. It gives normally some sort of diagnosis, some sort of checkup. You feel like you've been giving something for the money that you're paying that doctor, right? Or say a plumber comes to your house. They're going to come fix a pipe, right? That there's a service they provide. When they're done, you pay them and you fix something. 
Now, here's the thing about shipping. You bring something to me. I take it from you. You pay me money to take that package from you. And then I give you a receipt. That goes against what our consumer mind is being programmed to. And so it automatically causes a small rift within our, within our, within our brains that, Hey, this, this, this doesn't feel right. Something feels off here unless you, until you do it enough. And it's the same thing. So, so when somebody comes in and they want to ship gifts to their grandchildren, right? I can't tell you how many times that I've seen this happen, that a customer comes in, they bring a box to us. They set on the scales. We do the shipping on it. We put the label on it. And then they turn around. And after I hand them the receipt, they turn around and pick up that package and want to walk out the door. Programmed right. into their brains. This is, I mean, I mean, I have, I've seen physical confirmation of my theory being proven. And it happens at least a couple times a month um, at, right. at my locations. And so, so the thing is, is that whenever we, whenever we, you know, in retail, so much depends upon knowing things about people, you know, studying some psychology, you know, I mean, it's, I'm just telling you right now, I've become a better business owner by studying people than I've done studying business. Yep. Yeah, no, it make, makes total sense. And, you know, you're fighting that psychology, you know, and now you need to figure out how to empower the people that are working at the stores to, to not only uncover that, but then, like you said, through questioning uh, and, and maybe even empowering the store employees to, uh, you know, I, I don't know, let's say you had a little stress ball, you know, or, or, or some little gift that uh, that when, you know, that they had the opportunity to to give to a, a customer or client, you know, that that, that they yeah. could. I, I, I love the businesses that empower you know, I, I think it's the Ritz Carlton Hotel that that uh, literally anybody in the whole company can spend up to fifteen hundred dollars to make a customer happy. Now they've got high expensive hotel rooms, you know, but but maybe you know in in your business maybe someone could spend up to twenty dollars to make a customer happy. I, you know, whatever the number is, but empowering that that frontline you know employee to to really make the client's day, I, I think that can make a big difference. Yeah, it really does. Nordstrom's is another great company that um, that really goes out and above and beyond servicing and stuff. You know, if they if they don't have, I'll, I'll give you a prime example of this. Me and my wife, we were in Texas at the at a UPS store convention in Dallas, and it was it was her birthday week when the convention was going on, and so she wanted to go to Nordstrom's and buy shoes. I was like, okay, cool. So we went to Nordstrom's. She had bought a couple pair of high-end shoes, and she found these this pair of boots that she loved, but they didn't have it in her size. And so the woman that was waiting on us, she was just like, I'll tell you what I'll do. Uh, we She looked it up. We have these in our warehouse. What I'll do is that I'll just have them gift wrap them for you because it's your birthday and put them into a box and ship them to you directly to your home, and you'll have them in two days. And the crazy thing about it was, is that by the time we got home, those boots were waiting on her. And that woman went above and beyond. Didn't call, we didn't get charged for shipping. We didn't get charged for anything except for the boots. And that was it. Right. Nice. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's understanding these things, you know, and it's understanding the, the, the mental aspect of it. And I love it that you brought up the book, Think and Grow Rich, because that's what he talks about. That, that's what Napoleon Hill talks about in that book. It is changing your mindset to where you're open for to to where you to where you have um oh what am I trying to the words I'm looking for, Blaine. Um yeah, well, well, what's interesting is now, 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 back in the twenties when he wrote it and, and he published it in, in the thirties, but now today science is kind of validating 
um, what he said, which, and you can go back into the Bible and other places. A lot, a lot of this stuff is, is there, but the fact that, you know, what you think about, you bring about, and the reason is because there's a piece of the brains called the reticular activating system at the back of your brain, that that's the part of the brain that says, let me, let me turn this over to the conscious mind. This is something of importance. So like all day long, your brain is handling your breathing and blood and your blood pH and all these different things, thousands of things. Um, but what it brings to the conscious mind, you can kind of program that RAS to bring those things forward. And, and an example I like to use, I, I did a TEDx talk and I talked about this fact that my son, when he bought his first car, it was a maroon Acura TL car, which I, I didn't even know what it looked like. So he sent me this picture, right? There it is. There's the picture of it. Well, now for the next two or three weeks in my city of Phoenix, someone is putting this car all over the place. They're pulling up next to me. I see a lot full of them. You know, they're all over the place. Now, were they always there? Yes, they were. But my RAS wasn't wasn't programmed in, right, to find those things. So as we begin to do like what he talks about in the, in the book, Thinking Grow Rich, as we start to do those things and put into our mind kind of w what he calls spaced repetition, the things you want, like, you know, looking at your goal, reading it in the morning, reading it right before you go to bed, you start to program the subconscious mind. But now they found out it's a specific region in the brain that then brings those things, those opportunities to light because you've been thinking about it. And, and really, you know, what you look for, you find. And that's kind of, I also call that the lens of life. Uh, and, and if you're looking through, you know, a dark lens, you'll find the dark things. But if you're looking through, through a lighter lens, you'll find the, the lighter things in life. But anyway, yes, think and grow rich. You know, what you think about, you, you definitely bring about. Yeah. And, and I think the one thing that the book really brought to mind for me is having an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset. It's a it's a it's it's a really big deal because the thing is is that when you have a scarcity mindset, that means you're a victim. That means you're all of these negative things, right? But when you have an abundance mindset, that means you're open to receive things. Um and the thing yeah. is is that is that, you know, with an abundance mindset, it doesn't mean that you can't receive things that are not good. I mean, and, and that there's and the word good is 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 relative to who you are, um, or 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 negative, but it just means that it 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 is how you receive things now. When you have an abundance mindset, whether it's good or bad, positive or negative, when you have that abundance mindset, you receive things, process things. And then move them into the categories and places where they need to be. So if something's really negative that's happening to you, you know, and things like this are here. So let's say you was in a car accident and somebody pulled out in front of you and you hit them. You know, that there that there most people would think is a negative thing. My question is, is that what did you learn from this experience? You know, um, and the thing is, because because with every bad thing that happens or negative thing that happens, there's always something positive in there somewhere. Sometimes you just got to go digging around and find it. And the yeah, thing no, is, is that, yeah, go on. No, no, I was going to say, Napoleon Hill says that exact thing, you know, in the book that in every adversity, there's a seed of equal or greater benefit. So you're, you're, you're right on. Uh, and, and again, it's, it's determined by what you look for. Uh, and, and that actually, now they found that that actually literally changes your brain chemistry. Uh, you know, is that if you're looking for the good, you find it, uh, and you're more productive and, and your mind, um, in a positive state is better than negative, neutral, or stressed every single time. Your results in every category, how much energy you have, what you can do, uh, the, the, the creativity, everything is better, um, when, when you have this kind of abundance mindset like you're talking about. So it's, uh, definitely a, a, a big thing. Not always easy for some people. Uh, you know, you can have a lot of, uh, head trash or, or, or poor programming from the past. And sometimes it's hard to, to switch that around. Um, I'll give people one little trick here, one little hack, I call it, uh, is that if you find yourself saying something negative, like I can't do this or, or, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I'm never going to buy another UPS store. As soon as you say that the thing that you have a mindfulness or you identify as negative, just say, yeah, but right. So I, I'm never going to buy another UPS store. Yeah. But, 
If the right store came along, I would. When you say, yeah, but, when you, yeah, but yourself or yeah, but other people, it makes your mind flip and try to find the other side, right? Yeah, but, well, if there's a fire sale, I might. Yeah, but if my wife keeps asking me to, I will. Yeah, but, yeah, but. So that's just one little, one little uh, head trash hack there. Um, but, but it is important for you to, um, you know, to pour in the positive, however you do that. I, I do that through a lot of audio programs or, in you know through reading the the book uh, Think and Grow Rich, I do have an interesting story with the book Think and Grow Rich. Is uh, I, I read it in college, gave me some success, and a number of years later, I went and I bought one of the original five thousand copies. Now they say there's tens of millions of copies have been printed, but I bought this this uh, one of the original five thousand, and it was a hardback, and it was really it was a lot bigger than the one I read in college. And I opened it up, and the first page said, "What do you want most?" Now, now I had never read that. I'd read the book now maybe 15, 16 times. And I, and I said, whoa, 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 I've never read that page. And so I went and I got my other book. I still have both the books, uh, you know, and I got my other book. And it's not in there. And the first two pages were actually instructional pages teaching you how to read the book. Um, so that was really, really cool. And we can unpack that if you want. But then as I read the book, it was a totally different experience. And I found out it was actually changed uh, in the 60s. Uh, and and most people read the wrong version of the book. Um, and so in the original, he does a lot of shouting. So he types in all caps. And there were parts of the book that were taken out. Um, I don't know if it was for political correctness or, or, or what, because uh, I remember reading as a Christian, I was reading the, the original and he talks about Jesus. I'm like, oh, I would have remembered that. So I went back in my, my original book. And I'm, nope, it's not in there. Uh, so, so anyway, uh, that I, I think it's a richer experience in, in reading, in, you know, in reading the original uh, kind of the way he wrote. Now, some of the English is a little old because it was written in the, in the 20s and published in the 30s, but still a, lo- a lot of value in, in that book. Yeah, I mean, it it took him what fifteen years to 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 completely write that book completely. From from yeah, I mean, he he was probably twenty yeah twenty five years in the making. He wrote a book called uh, the Law of Success, Laws of Success, which then Thinking Grow Rich is kind of a little bit of a condensed version of that. Um, and he released that in the twenties, but yeah, it was, it was a lifetime, uh, you know, or 20, 25 years of work. Uh, and, and he actually lived till 1970, Napoleon Hill did. Yeah. Yep. And then, um, and then I think the Napoleon Hill foundation now has most of his stuff that, that, that isn't in private hands right now. Um, yeah. What's interesting is that the original version of the book, the, the one that I purchased, uh, was in the public domain. And so what was interesting is I used to get the book from this guy, Melvin Powers. Uh, you know, he was still publishing the original version in, in his exactly called the facsimile version of the original. Uh, and then he passed and I couldn't get it anymore. So luckily it was in the public domain. So I got it, uh, you know, from the public domain. And then I added a book study and I added a guidebook and I put that all into one book. And then I published what's a, I, I copyright and publish a derivative work that actually has the original. Cause even, um, you know, even the, the Napoleon Hill foundation, to my knowledge, I couldn't find that original version with all the capitalization and, and that, that complete facsimile version. So, so anyway, had to end up publishing it myself, but, but, um, but yes, they do have a lot of a lot of good things of of his works. You know who is obsessed with Napoleon Hill is Russell Brunson. Do you know who Russell is? Yeah, yeah, I definitely heard of him. Sure. And so he is like crazy obsessed with him. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's run qu- quite it, uh, large businesses, and he's he's done a lot of what I call white table. What you think about, you bring about. So he's he's a real action yeah. taker. I like him. Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing is that um, over the past two years, he's got crazy obsessed with him, and there was a bunch of the. So he has in his private collection. Russell does the original topped pages of. Um, uh, of of some of Napoleon Hill's work. I mean, like, I mean, like, he he bought the typewriter that Napoleon typed some of his stuff on, and but but he bought all of these. He he bought all of these these pages. This all of these. That, I don't even want to say that they're books, but but during, but when he bought all this from a private um, 
collector. And then now he owns it and he started going through the stuff and he found that there is actually a book inside of all the information that he collected. And at some point, um, Brunson's going to publish a new book of Napoleon Hill that was kind of lost uh, in, in the, in, in the mix of all of these other texts and stuff like this. So yeah, it was just, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I find, I, I find Napoleon Hill just fascinating. You know, and, and he was a writer. Okay. So he was a writer by trade and his, his, uh, his stepmom got him the typewriter and, and got him, got him writing, but, but he did a lot of writing. So I, I actually have, he used to have his own magazine, uh, called the golden rule. And, uh, and so I've got some original issues of that, you know, that, uh, you know, at this point are, are probably, you know, 80, 80 years old, uh, 80, 90 years old. So, so yeah, there's a lot of, he's, he produced a lot of, um, you know, a lot of good works out there. He did. Well, listen, this has been fun, but we are running out of time blank. Let me ask you a question. So um, if people want to get in touch with you, know more about you, connect with you, uh, what's the best way to do that? Uh, yeah, I would say the easiest thing is just to, um, I, I did this TEDx talk and I did it about White Table, what you think about, you bring about. So if you just go to BlaineTEDx.com, so B-L-A-I-N-E-T-E-D-X.com, there you can opt in for that talk. Then you'll get to know a little bit about me. Uh, you'll be on my list. Uh, I, I run some, these things called Super Results Days. I publish articles and really just help business owners get results. And so, yeah, we'll be connected there. And if I can serve people in any way, I, I'm happy to do it. And I'll tell you what else I'll do. Um, I'll put your I'll put your website and your Facebook and LinkedIn in the notes also. So if people want to try to direct contact you there or whatever, they'll be able to do that too. Is, is that okay? Yeah, that's more than okay. That's generous of you. So thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate that, John. Yeah, most definitely. Well, thank you so much for being on today. I know I kind of took over today and talked a whole lot, but um, but 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 you brought a bunch of stuff out in me that um uh, that that maybe some people haven't heard before. I mean, I've talked about a lot of things on my podcast before, but today I, I think you really brought out some things inside of me and I really do appreciate your time and your efforts today to help um, us serve as many people as we can. Uh, yeah. And I'll, I'll leave the people with this. The bad news, the bad news is that time flies. The good news, you're the pilot. So pilot well, my friends. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, thank you, Blaine, for being on today. And I want to thank my listeners for listening. I always appreciate you, you folks so much. So, folks, we will see you on the next one. Thank you so much for joining me today and listening to this episode. Hopefully, what I shared with you will help you in your business journey as we share to help others expand their minds, businesses, and profits. If this episode did help you, be sure to share it with someone else that you know that it will help. We can only achieve our mission if we share it with others and always give first. I hope I can also help you even further by sharing my resources. It is a page that contains all the digital assets we use to expand our business and to help us free up time. The great thing about this page is completely free. Just go to resources.expansioncode.com to get your free access. Thank you again for tuning in and have a fantastic day, my friends.